Welcome to the 14 News Podcast with your host, James Coppert. Hi, hi, Minkus. Welcome to the show. Um, this is an interview with Tim from the 14 Film Festival. I'm really uh, pleased to bring it to you. It's an absolutely amazing interview. I found it fascinating just to talk to him, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Go to www.14filmfestival.com. Check out the festival there. Um, but we didn't just talk about the festival. In fact, mostly we didn't. We talked about Tim's experiences and insight and his research. So uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. My, my voice was giving in, so I apologise. And also, like, sincere apologies for those that tried to join us on the Podbean uh, link to ask questions and, and follow it live. Unfortunately, it, it just wasn't working today for whatever reason, but something we'll explore in the future. But it's still come out okay. We called it via Zoom in the end. So thank you, Tim, for being so patient with us as well. And um, I'm really excited to bring it to you. I'm, I'm just going to shut up and just bring you the interview. It's brilliant. Okay, take care, everyone. And uh, yeah, speak to you all soon. So hello Tim, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, James. Thanks for having me. It's it's great to have you. So um, as I said to the listeners, I, I someone sent me a link on uh, on on Facebook of, of the festival, and um, it was right up my street. I love films and I love uh, everything fourteen, obviously. And I came down and it was an amazing event. So it's a, it's a real real honour to to interview to you today. Um, I guess um, to begin with, before we get to the festival, it's kind of um, if you want to introduce yourself and, and kind of tell us uh, kind of how you got into the world of fortune in the, in the first place. Uh, okay, yeah, pleasure. So um, I suppose within the fortune world, I'm, I'm kind of known as Mothman. Um, <laughs> uh, my name's obviously Timothy. And, you know, as a kid, I was uh, I was often referred to by the last bit of that. So I was known as Mothy growing up. And when uh, when I finally did sort of break into the fortune world, as it were, um, and people found that out, I just obviously became Mothman, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of you know that that's that's sort of like how I'm known. And you know, if you if you uh, Google Tim Mothman Whitard, you'll find various things. I'm usually attached to the big cat sort of uh, phenomenon. Um, but I suppose going back, I bought, you know, right back to a child. I was always one of those kids who had a, <laughs> a difficulty at times separating uh, you know fantasy and imagination from reality. So I was always in in touch with um, the endless possibilities of what might be, and um, it didn't take much to send my imagination uh, uh, into overdrive. You know, uh, I was like, for example, I was always you, you see one thing on the TV, or you know, that there used to be a series, Strange but True, and I can remember watching like a couple of episodes of that, just being absolutely mind blown and like terrified of spontaneous human combustion and stuff like that. I was always like worried I was just going to burst into flames and. You know, um, so yeah, I've always had a fascination with uh, with anything weird and anything strange, right back to a kid. Um, it's just this, um, you know, when you when you start going down that rabbit hole, there's all there's usually something for everyone. You know, if you don't like the ghosts, you might like the zombies. If if, if that's not for you, there's witchcraft and aliens, and so yeah, and it inspires so much literature and and children's TV and film and stuff. So you know, it's. Um, it's a hotbed for creative types and uh, for people who just want to um, play with their own head, I guess. It is. It's that ability to to look at the world in a different lens, I think. And and for those people that can do that, who, who don't just accept 
um, the rationale and the dogma that we're told. It's, it enables you to, to look at different possibilities of, of the world, which is, makes the world a lot more fascinating and interesting. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I have to be honest, I, I try to be quite atheistic about things in life, you know, and I try to be that guy now who looks at logic, looks at reason. Um, but we always have to admit, you know, even if you are a staunch scientific, um, you know, atheist, you always have to admit that there is a limit to, to the science and there's a limit to our tools and there's a limit to what we can measure and currently understand, you know, so that, that always invokes the God of the gaps, you know, when you have like, even people like Stephen Hawking, they used to sort of like bow out, you know, when the science got to its limits and sort of say, oh, well, like, you know, we don't know, maybe God did it, you know, and it's like, so you, you kind of have to have an open mind, you know, to a point, a, you know. It's, it's a very human thing to have a, a fear of saying, I don't know. And you have to come up with a rational thing instead of just accepting that you don't know. And I think that's where the 14 comes in, isn't it? Is that ability to say, I don't know, and, and explore it further. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what Charles Fort did, wasn't it? He sort of uh, stood on the peripheries of what was known and tried to stretch the tools to the limit, you know. Um, see, you know, trying to, uh, to, to just to be sort of like methodical and, you know, in, in your processes and in your recording, that's that's how you can observe patterns. And that's that's what, you know, that's where you can start to make your hypothesis. And yeah, um, yeah I, I, I think there's always going to be, you know, in life, you know, as part of the human experience, we're never going to quite know everything, even, you know, fast forward in, you know, 3000 years, if, you know, humanity hasn't destroyed itself. And, you know, we're still on this trajectory of technology and, you know, science there will still even then be a limit, you know, yeah. so. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they, they found um, things from Mesopotamia talking about uh, ghosts and poltergeist activity. So it's, it's, it's always been going on and we're still denying it and still, you know, trying to find out the answers. It's uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, I've, I, yeah, that's it. I mean, you wanted to talk to me about some of the experiences I've had and like, you know, I think everyone, even the most rational sort of, um, you know, um, narrow-minded, sort of closed, to, you know, people who are, who are not, not receptive to the idea of the paranormal or the supernatural. I think, you know, e even those kind of people have to admit that, you know, there are times in life when weird things happen, maybe strange coincidences or something. And you can chalk it down to that. You can say, oh, it was just a strange coincidence. But, you know, it'll still make you feel weird at the time. <laughs> still make a shiver go down your spine as, as, as the event happens, you know. So... Yeah, it's a fascinating part of the human experience and something that like I I never tire of really. You know, it's it's more interesting than the conventional news. You know, <laughs> if you if you want to scare yourself and you know uh, have a sort of morbid experience, go and tune into the realities of and, and horrors of the real world. But I think um, you know, obviously you've got to pay attention to what's going on in the real world. But I just find it really good escapism to sort of dip in and out of this kind of stuff. You know, particularly when. Uh, you know other things in the world can look so bleak you know so it's 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 good escapism and it's something something that speaks to something deep within me and probably a lot of other people you know mm. i talk about the the notion of you know being scared around the campfire don't mm. know why but we love to do it you know mm. you go and have a, a nice uh, a nice winter's you know bonfire or you know a barbecue and it goes into the you know into the evening and you're sat outside and you know the the sun goes down as sure as night follows day you know people are going to start telling ghost stories and the the urban legends and so we love it as humans you know or a lot of us do and um you know i i, I can see why 
Absolutely. Um, and and, and no matter how, how often uh, science and religion has tried to drum these beliefs out of us, there's, there's something almost part of our psyche as human beings that, that kind of craves it and still searches for it. Yeah, well, certainly for me, and it's, it sounds like for you. So, you know, I, I, I agree, you know. Um, yeah, there's some people who still sort of scoff at it and like think it's like really geeky to be into the footy and stuff and, you know, ridicule it and whatever. And, and that's fine, you know, I've got to take that. And I joined the party as well, to be fair. I don't take everything in the 14 world as sort of, um, you know, um, there, there, there's, let's sort of say there's levels of credibility within it, you know. <laughs> um, and you can sort of, um, you can be really abstract and really sort of outlandish in, in the 14 world, or you can try and toe the line close to the science and um, and all the rest of it. So it's, it's, it's somewhere where you can have a lot of fun or you can be serious if you want, you know, it's, it's, it's um it's a playground isn't it the 14 world it is um, yeah and uh, there's a lot of dogma in the 14 world as well it's, it's, it's you know, like the, the fact that so you can have fun and everything and you know it's yeah. um i mean my show i try and make make humor of what's going on as well and and it is funny sometimes you know these things are strange and weird and and we shouldn't take it too serious and i i genuinely believe also that that is the point it's, it's just to challenge reality and make you scratch your head make you laugh make you scared um and and create these human emotions you know um but but some some people are very serious as well and and i think you know to go back to the festival that's one of the wonderful things which we'll come on to later was the the mixture of humor and really seriousness and and moving things as well that you you chose um yeah i, I mean well like it, yeah uh, it, that that was it was unexpected when we started the festival we really didn't have you know much of a clue about how broad the genre could get really I think that was that was we, we were sort of confronted with our own ignorance really there because I was assuming it was going to be a lot of documentaries and mm. factual content but you know that how naive of me really uh, there's some creative filmmakers out there doing some you know some some really you know unexpected things you know um so yeah it was it's it's um it's really interesting um you know when when we opened the floodgates for submissions how that kind of happened but another reason just going back before we sort of get into the nitty-gritty of the festival one of the reasons we sort of conceived the idea me and Matt Everett um and um why we started the whole thing off was we sort of attended and, and participated in a few other film festivals through various you know cap related shows that we'd made um, and we kind of got to see there was there, 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 there was great variation in the world of film festivals in how the subject is treated. You know, some some festivals kind of have sort of like an open mind to it, but it's never really um, uh, promoted or pushed that much within it. So you might you might get treated OK, you might get you know selected and, and you might, you know, get treated you know, fairly um, within the, the contest, but other festivals just add sort of like a, a closed door policy to anything that was <laughs> remotely um, outside of the ordinary. Um, you know, if it didn't have sort of like immediate mainstream um, market appeal, then there was just no way they were going to pay any attention to it. So that's kind of why we conceived the idea. We wanted to, you know, bring the playground of the 14 world and give it a platform that it, it, it sort of deserved. Um mm. So uh, I'm, I'm pleased. Thank you very much for the compliments about it. I'm pleased. It seems we've, uh, you know, we at least did justice in the first season. So it was, a, it was a really amazing. And again, I, I had the um, preconception it was going to be all documentaries when I when I turned up. And um, yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised. As I said, you know, I, I laughed, I cried, I went through all the emotions watching watching the videos. It was 
yeah, really, really special event. So kind of you talk about the big cats. How, how did you first get interested in that? Well, like, as I say, always been interested in, in anything to do with like, you know, historical legends, folklore, you know, weird stories, the paranormal. I was always the kid who, you know, I remember as a child, my dad used to take me and my brother, you know, when mum was often working weekends, he would take us to the library. And, you know, I would always go straight to that bookshelf where it was all the paranormal books. You know, I probably read them more 200 times. There's probably only about five on the shelf, but, you know, they were just, <laughs> I take one back one week and get another one back out next, you know. Um, but that was really sort of what drew me, drew me to it. So I always had an interest um, and it kind of went into overdrive. There was one night in, two thousand, I think it was 2014, um, and it would have been early in the year. So we're talking January, February, and it was a, a evening time. So it gets dark quite early and it must have been about seven o'clock in the evening. I was driving um, from my place to my brother's to go and visit him. It's not a long drive, um, but you've got two options. You can go through like the urban part of Gloucester, which is like, you know, chocker block with traffic and, you know, it's just chaos. Or you can step outside the city, you know, and, and take the lanes. And, and that's what that's what I did this one night. And little did I know that um, in doing that, I was going to have an encounter that would, you know, well, change my life forever and my outlook on um, certainly the big cat phenomenon. Mm. Um, and it's just that classic thing. I was going around the country lane um, and you see those two yellow eyes, you know, <laughs> shining out of the bushes, you know, and I'm like, there's an animal in there. What's that? And I put my headlamps on full beam. And as I do that, this is this is sort of like it's sort of kind of a nerve in thinking about it now, but it it steps out into the road and it's lit up like a Christmas tree. This thing was not at all concerned that um, a car was approaching it, and it was definitely a zoo type animal. I don't, you know, I'm, I, you know, I, I, I'm willing to entertain the possibility that you know maybe you know in a lot of cases maybe people you know misidentify what they see you know I, I'm convinced what I saw was a flesh and blood animal if it wasn't it was you know a florid psychotic hallucination but I, I really don't I think it felt like a real experience and you know it wasn't in any way one of these phantom cats it didn't disappear through a wall it didn't sort of turn into vapor that was flesh and blood mm. um and it, it was a zoo animal basically a zoo type animal that obviously you know it was over now naturalized and born in the wild here or someone had let it out um but yeah uh, i saw that i rushed to my brother's house um there was no chance i was going to get a, a photo or anything um because it was all over in a second um you know I, uh, the creature sort of lolloped very confidently out in front of the car you know sort of looked at uh, looked me up and down in, and sort of said well you know I'm not moving for you kind of attitude and just continued its, its journey, but it was gone in sort of, you know, it was all over and done with must have been less than 10 seconds, less than 10 seconds, you know? Um, so I get to my brother's house and I burst through the door. You're never going to believe what I've just seen. <laughs> a typical one to play everything down. My brother, he, he sort of says, Oh, that's brilliant. I believe you think you saw a big cat, but <laughs> I'm not saying you're lying, you're just wrong. It was, yeah. it was clearly just a Labrador, black lab or yeah. something like that. And I'm like, oh, but I knew what I'd saw. And the yeah. fact that I've seen one of these things absolutely means nothing because you come away from an experience like that with no evidence. It's an experience like, I suppose you, you have a 
a lot of people talk about ghosts on your show and you know stuff like that if you see like oh mentally psychologically it'll change you you know if it you know it and it'll unnerve you and you'll come away and you'll want to talk about it and people want to hear it because they got their own stuff going on in their life you know what i mean a bit that you know if you well they, they, you know most people will listen but you, for the 200th time if you recount in the story they've switched off you know yeah. and unless you come away with some sort of substantial evidence some some photograph something like that a video then conversation falls flat on its ass very quickly and <laughs> and uh you know i was one of those people you know i was just plagued then by this oh my god how many of them are out there where did it come from was it born you know like in the wild or was it released you know all these other questions um and and you know <laughs> no forthcoming answers so um invariably what happens to people or what happened in my case and certainly seems what happens to other people who have these similar experiences you you then take to the internet don't you or you look in the community and you you try and find other people who, who can relate to what you've had the experience yourself um yeah I, I um i i, I saw a, a black cat in the in early 90s um and it was it was a summer's day i was out in the field and um, the, the the next field along there was this just a big black panther, and um, and it just stood, stood staring at me, and I was terrified because you know it's like uh, you on your own. Yeah, I was on my own. I was in my um, early teens. Um, this thing was probably we we had a Great Dane, and and it was probably around the same size as the Great Dane. Um, you know, absolutely no shadow of a doubt that it was a, a cat. It had the big curly tail. Uh, not curly tail, but big, you know. I know what you mean with the loop at the end. Yeah, um, cat, you know the the very cat-like jaw, um, and it just stood staring at me, just absolutely still. And I just backed away really slowly, and then sprinted probably the fastest of everyone in my life back back to the house. Um, oh, me. I mean, that sounds quite a terrifying encounter. At least I had like, you know, the protection of being in a vehicle when I saw mine. And this is another thing that I think about if I was walking down that road, you know, as I had done previously, you know, like it was it was often a route that people, you know, wayward drunks would take on the way back home. You know, it's not, not uncommon to go down there, you know, late at night and find like someone who's sort of like, you know, obviously lives in a rural part of, uh, you know, of the county, you know, who's, who's been uptown for the night and they're walking the last few miles home. And I'm thinking if I was walking down that road and that cat had stepped out, yeah, yeah. Would, I, would I have even made it home? Well, I was, I was certain I, there was no way I could outrun this thing. I just... No, 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 of course you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Like, I mean, if what you're saying you saw is what, you know, the, the big cat researchers in, in, in looking at this subject think it is most likely to be in Britain, and that is, you know, if you see a big black cat, you know, most researchers, you know, seriously entertain the notion of these being black leopards, mm. you know. Um, if we had black jaguars running around, you know, they look almost, you know, identical to, to, a, to a novice. You wouldn't tell the difference, mm. and certainly from a distance, you wouldn't tell the difference. But the, the, the suggestion is we don't have those running around, or if we do, not in abundance, because we'd lose a lot more cows and a lot more horses mm. um, if jaguars were running around out there, because they mm -hmm. are that little bit bigger and that little bit more powerful. And um, so, so leopards don't really entertain attacking cattle and, and, and horses which is why we tend to get more sort of predation on deer and and um and sheep which mm. is 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 what's what's believed but either way if it's a jaguar or a leopard 
explosive power you i mean and and they're designed to you know to cover huge distances like very very quickly you know they're not marathon runners but short sprints i mean the power is explosive and the acceleration um yeah if it wanted to get hold of you mate you <laughs> i mean you wouldn't have stood a chance you know and uh, you know so it, it's a terrifying thing but reassuringly reports of attacks and interactions of that sort of nature on you know with, with with humans are very very rare but um it's still something even though i know that i know that in most circumstances you know most big cats wouldn't choose to socialize with humans at all and they'll do everything they can to get out of the way even though i know that and again i try to be atheistic and sort of rational about things you know i still feel uneasy when i'm out in the woods you know if i'm doing any cat research at night or whatever or you know if i'm even just in the countryside at night, I, I you know, I, I don't like being being out on my own in a, in the woods at night or in the you know, remote areas of Gloucestershire. You know, it's mm-hmm. just purely because I know there's animals out there that the government say aren't out there, and they kind of well, depending on who you talk to, they shouldn't be out there. But <laughs> we have um, um, a lot of sightings in in this area on the um, Yorkshire coast. Um, even, even in like urban areas, so there's a, a, a small village called Scarby, and um, pretty close to Scarborough, and, and they've been witnessed, you know, numerous times. Um, even there was a, a like a tourist little railway line where it's like a sit-on train, and and the driver yeah. had, had had about three sightings. See, so it's funny you say that. If it's a little tourist train, you know, then it probably doesn't have as much traffic as, say, like the main, the, the bigger lines that are used as like transport, you know, vessels and stuff. So it's it's thought that particularly the smaller railway lines, and we're talking abandoned ones really here, the old Victorian ones that are now mostly converted to bridleways and, you know, cycle tracks. And the only, re- you know, sort of remnants of the railway ever being there is every so often there's an old platform that's abandoned, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, they're they're hypothesised as, as being used as sort of um, travel corridors by these big cats and, yeah. and things, um, you know, because you know that you take the path of least resistance and you know the the sort of hedgerows and you know the, the the areas where nature's reclaiming these sort of these lost abandoned railways mm. um make quite good lucrative hunting areas as well because there's a lot of nesting birds and you know sort of small mammals and stuff that will knock around in these uh, in these areas so yeah a lot of reports come in from nearby train tracks and and, and railways and stuff particularly the abandoned ones but just going back to your site and I just wanted to ask how, like how did that affect you because like presumably you told people about it I'm just curious about how people reacted when uh, you know when you had your experience and it was, it was um, similar to you where um, they were like oh it was a dog and I was like it, it, it wasn't a dog you know I grew up with we had four dogs and three cats and it was a yeah so you know the difference or you're confident you know the difference I, I, I bet my life on it if someone said you know put a gun to my head and said you know there was a photo and I had to guess I, I, I bet my life on it there and there. Hundred percent, that that was a that was a big cat. And there, there, there become there's that thing then, isn't it? So it's happened to to you know to me. It happened to you. You come away from that incident. You've got no evidence to show for it. Mm-hmm. And I guess probably it's a, an accumulation of things like that, which has led you to to, to doing your podcast, right? Yeah, I've had, and it's interesting, isn't it, how all these these things kind of occur. So so a lot like you, I was. Um, well, I started as a toddler, really, with with paranormal experiences, and would freak my parents out. And um, but but the more I, I looked into things, because it obviously then sparked an interest, the more 
things would actually occur, which seems to be a, a, a kind of growing theme as well with, with people I talk to. Um, the, 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 you know, it's that the old saying, isn't it, that the, when you look into the hole, the hole starts looking back. Um, but it's, it's surprising, actually, with the big cat thing, how, how often, when I speak about my experience, how many people in this area have, have seen them. And um, I spoke to someone which you, you'll be interested in. They, they, they wanted to remain anonymous, um, but they they hit hit one, um, or they claimed to hit one with the car and called the police. Yeah. And it was the RAF that turned up, which was, they found really, really interesting. Yeah, see, now I've heard similar stories you know they, they get told up and down the country there was you know there's a yeah i mean the, the the pattern sort of repeats itself but there's a well-known story not far from where i live um uh, 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 someone allegedly um ran over um a big black cat in the early morning um like just before the start of rush hour mm. and this was sort of like about i don't know a few hundred yards down the road from one of gloucester's biggest um secondary schools with a student population including the sixth form that exceeds a thousand students um and they all have to go down this road to get to their school the road was closed for seven hours mm. um and the students they were diverted around Gloucester that like those of them that bothered to walk you know um who weren't on buses they they must have walked an additional three miles to get to school that day because they were rerouted all around the houses but the story that was released was that a bloke had run over um, a dog um and if that's true you know i don't suppose the road would have been closed for seven hours <laughs> but nonetheless that's that's how the, the story goes and allegedly what happened there is that um the bloke uh, the gentleman who, who, who ran this animal over um was so traumatized by it and of course you know his car's almost written off um or sustained a lot of damage at, at least anyway and um the police attended um the police actually took this gentleman's car they didn't seize it but they said you can't there's no way we're letting you report this to your insurance you know or, we'll pay you know we'll, we'll we'll repair your vehicle at the police accident repair center so where obviously they get their vehicles repaired you know if they do a police chase and you know damn or knock one of their 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 patrol vehicles it's rumored that this this you know gentleman's vehicle was repaired there um quietly and he was sort of advised not talk about it um and why so, do you think yeah. that is do you think it's it's to stop public panic or do you think there's a, a bigger conspiracy and well yeah i mean it's it, it, i wouldn't call it a bigger conspiracy i kind of think the, the authorities hands are tied in many ways i just i did an article going back the uh, like last month um i did a freedom information request um mm -hmm to well i did lots of them <laughs> and in in amongst that like um one of the government uh, devolved governments sent me an 86 page document um which is just basically a private email chain between various wildlife officials police everything like that talking about what to do in a specific area with a couple of problem big cats you know um, and it kind of reveals that they know that they know cats are out there they're not talking about it from a position of guessing or speculating they're you know they're they're 100 no cats are out there but within that as well you know i suppose I, you know there's probably a follow-up article to come you know when i when i can do it a bit bit of justice because i think the reasons why they can't be open and honest and candid at all times are kind of also apparent within those pages as well so like if you think about 
if first off if you admit there's big cats out there you know mm. say yeah okay they're right there they're probably a small breeding population very small very unlikely you'll see when if you do you know you're lucky you know kind of if that the kind of attitude and then some sort of sensible you know health and safety steps would follow but if you admit that there's big cats running around in the wilderness, then think of a scenario, say you're a small community group or you're a, a scout hut or, you know, you run the girl guides and you want to take them camping or if you run a nature reserve and you want to have, um, you know, old age pensioners come in and, you know, all of a sudden there's questions about what kind of fencing do you need around your property? What kind of insurance do you have? What kind of first aiders have you got on site? What kind of signage have you got up, you know, in these in these areas, you know, so if you want to run a campsite or or something like that, all of a sudden it gets very complicated. If you're in the farming and agricultural industry, if you're into livestock and you're a sheep farmer, then you want to know, OK, right. So you've admitted we've got a problem here, government. Where's our compensation? Where's the contingency plans? All of that. And then, you know, the police will get lent on, obviously, and, they're, you know, they're obviously stretched already. They don't have a budget and, a, you know, they've got wildlife teams and stuff, but they're, they're, they're already busy dealing with poaching and, you know, other problems and uh, other legitimate wildlife issues. So there isn't any government authority that actually has a budget to deal with this. Um, so it gets handed around like a hot potato. Um, you've also got, you know, you don't want mass hysteria and panic. You don't want people to all of a sudden abandon the wilderness areas and and to say, right, well, we're not letting our children play in, you know, in 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 the woods or play in the countryside. Um, you don't want mob-handed hunters and you know and sort of people thinking right okay well I'm going to bag myself a trophy let's go out and bait a, an area with mm. you know entrails and offal and you know stand in the in the bushes with a sniper gun you, you you'd have all these problems that would emerge so it's um and of course you know, you do you do have problem big cats occasionally as well. So what's you know if you, if there's a danger in life um there's a phrase isn't it we've all heard it you know uh, you know there's a, a situation you know um like i'm gonna butcher this i can't remember the words for it but it's it words to the effect of um things in life are often ruined by a few people do you see, see what i mean that kind of that that notion that um there's always one or two will ruin it for the rest yeah. and so if you apply that to the animals you've got one cat that's misbehaving that's taking livestock in an area or who's had a couple of territorial sort of interactions with you know dog walkers or something of that nature are you gonna you know have some sort of radical nutcase bring in a blanket policy of eradicate all cats and you know so there's there's a lot at stake um and you know and, until you can have that rational debate with all people around the table um you know we've got a vested interest in the discussion you'd need farming representatives you'd need law enforcement representatives you'd need animal rights representatives you need wildlife experts and ecologists um you'd also have to do probably a massive survey of what's out there in the wilderness because we don't really know what predators are out there people keep talking about lynx reintroduction as a sensible thing thing to do to control our deer population which is spiraling out of control um but before we start releasing predators into the you know or more predators into the you know the wilderness it might be a good approach to do some studying of what's actually out there already um because i suspect we'd find that the lynx is already here um mm. along with a few others um there's wild boar in the buds uh 
in, in Rancliffe Woods that have been sighted a few times and chased a few uh, dog walkers. Yeah, yeah see, you know, this is this is the thing, and it's those 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 encounters are the ones which are a little bit troubling because people do, you know, it. Yeah, you know, I can even imagine your heart racing. It must be terrifying to be confronted by a big, you know, a, 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 a large cat of that size, you know, in in a sort of territorial sort of way. Um, and these people come away from these experiences often ridiculed by their friends. Have no one to talk to. Have no evidence to support their outlandish stories. I was chased by a panther. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, how do you resolve that? Imagine being that individual. So, you know, so like I've, I've got a lot of sympathy for, you know, the, the, some of the eyewitnesses. It, it, whether they've seen a big cat or not, whether it was misidentification, whether they were hallucinating, whether they were on magic mushrooms, to me it doesn't matter, you know, because you can come out of the woods and, and a lot of people do still, you know, reporting things like Bigfoot and Dogmen as well. And I'm not going to sort of argue with them, you know, whether I think that that's a real biological animal or whether it's a zoo form phenomenon or um, a shapeshifter or whatever. There's endless, you know, possibilities once you start entertaining the Fortean. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's important to me is these people, they've really believe they've seen something, Yeah. you know, they you believe they've really seen know. something. And, you know, when you start talking to these people, you know, like I won't get drawn into it. You know, it's, it's very easy to, to find in this field and in this world, people, slagging off others and bitching about people's you know opinions and oh they don't know what they're talking about i'm a biologist listen to me you know they're a cryptozoologist don't listen to them or you know and you can you can draw your battle lines and stuff but ultimately for me what's important is when you're listening to these people's stories is that it's a person's story you know and and at the heart of it in most cases i do genuinely feel most of the eyewitnesses are being genuine you know because there's let there's little to gain from yeah. making it up apart from you know becoming a figure of ridicule yeah yeah, yeah. Do, do, do you see what i mean definitely, you know it's very few people who, who release these big outlandish stories or you know tell the world i you know i i i was abducted by aliens very few people who come away with a you know from an experience with a paranormal story end up making loads of money out of it it's not a lucrative way to to make a fortune it's a good way of ruining your reputation yeah yeah credibility and most of the people believe you're the only people that have kind of witnessed things themselves yeah with the big cat phenomenon have you found that that most witnesses are on their own rather than a group uh no there's there's a mixture it's really happenstance and and chance you know, um, so like there's there's, there's as many. Uh, I like, probably say, in fact, more more circumstances. That, you know, more 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 reports have generally more than one person. It's usually, and I have to say, this is this is anecdotal. I could go through reports and actually come up with numbers. You know, but it'd be an exhaustive process. But I think most reports that certainly I'm aware of where people have a good look at the animal for you know more than a few seconds from motor cars. Yeah. And it's usually the animal, you know, walks out in front of the vehicle or it's, a, you know, seen in a in a field adjacent to the road or on a, on a bank of a motorway, something like that, you know. But a lot of reports come in from motorists and, you know, um, sometimes they have passengers and sometimes they get footage. You know, yeah. Sometimes it's usually a bit blurry. You get the blob cat, you know, it's a couple of pixels and you're thinking, is that a dustbin bag? Is it a dog? You know, is it someone's, you know, is it an old coat? It could be anything. I mean, there was that thing that went viral a few years back um, on Facebook and it was like, it looked like a leopard had been ran over in the street. And I think it was like a leopard print bag 
and um, the uh, the strap on it kind of looked like the tail. Right. Um, and at first glance, you'd swear that was a leopard dead on the road. But you look again and know it's someone's handbag. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so you get seen you see all the photos you know and unless it's hd quality unless you can see the whiskers on the cat i'm afraid it's not really any good because there's so uh, yeah, it's interesting but in terms of like the the evidence really there's just so many of these blurry photos now you know like you can just keep adding blurry photos to the to the mix but until you get that photograph where you can actually look at it and say you know you can resolve the species you yeah. see the whiskers on it you know that's the kind of stuff we're looking for now to take the you know, the, the argument forward um but that's why i picked big cats as well by the way no you know this is a very big cat centric episode so far we haven't even started talking about the festival yet but um the reason I, uh, when i made my mind up that i was going to sort of dive into this kind of stuff obviously having had that experience and seen that big cat i kind of felt that it was the most tangible sort of thing that I could get involved in, in terms of making strides to an, towards an answer. Mm. Um, so like, you know, obviously interested in UFOs and aliens, but like, I don't, the sky and outer space, that's a big area to monitor. I, <laughs> I don't think I'd get enough trail cams to make a dent in it. Do you know what I mean? So, so I kind of, well, you know, I, 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 I don't think I'll be able to, you know, and again, with ghosts, I, like I, I've had a couple of ghostly encounters and seen the odd apparition or, you know, seen the odd weird thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that is. You know, I just don't, you know, if it is a real thing, if it is, you know, if, if ghosts are the spirits of, um, of de- the deceased or people on the other side or whatever, I don't know. I don't know. But whatever they are, I don't think science quite has the tools to measure it. No. So I wasn't going to go down that way. And I thought, well, a cat, you know, if you can find a cat, you can stroke it. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, that's why I picked the cats, because I felt that you could, you know, it was a tangible thing, a flesh and blood thing. It was still weird. It was still a, a mystery to be solved. But I felt that, you know, that it's a zoological issue. You know, you could, you could, the answers are to be had on terra firma in this realm. You don't need to go hopping through different dimensions or you know, anything like that. That's, that. That was at least my belief anyway, and still is, so. So where, where, where do you stand on the, the, you know, the many kind of sightings of linked to UFOs and the big cat in this country? Where do I stand on the sightings of what? Sorry, James, there. There's lots of um, been sightings with, with big cats alongside UFOs and, and, and you spoke. Oh, okay, them. okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't make anything of that apart from, you know, Britain's a small island, isn't it? You know, really, in the scale of the world, it's not a big place. So, you know, you don't, it doesn't take a leap. If you're going to have a UFO site in, you know, anywhere in the UK, it's probably not that far from ghost reports or big cat sightings. I wouldn't be keen to join the dots <laughs> and say that, you know, there's a connection between big cats and, uh, and UFOs. I mean, what interestingly... You know, the, the big cat phenomenon is often referred to as the ABC phenomenon, which, you know, some people say are, are anomalous big cats. But more commonly in the literature, you'll see alien big cats. Mm. Now, it does seem that like particularly back in the 90s, that did seem to confuse a lot of people. Mm. <laughs> and there was like there, there just seemed to be some people that had the belief that these alien big cats. Oh, right. They're flying. They're flying the UFOs. And so I don't know whether that was naivety or stupidity on the part of some people joining the dots there. But for me, like the cats, 
phenomenon in Britain is a flesh and blood phenomenon. They're like the cats you see in the zoo or the cats you see on Attenborough. The only difference is, is that back in, you know, in the days of the British Empire, our sort of colonial, eccentric, sort of extravagant, upper class ancestors, let's say, um, they were bringing them in from, you know, all parts of uh, Africa and Asia and different exotic animals. If you wanted a chimp, you could have a chimp. If you wanted a pet elephant, have 10. If you can afford them, we'll, we'll bring them, you know? So that was kind of the attitude in the day. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of, for me, it's led to this situation. I, I wouldn't make the leap that there's any connection, I'm afraid. <laughs> I, I mean, you might, you, might, you might convince me otherwise now, James. I'm, I'm open-minded to it. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I've just read some of these things and I don't really have an opinion on it. So I, I definitely didn't see a UFO when I saw saw the cat and um <laughs> it wasn't wearing a spacesuit was it no 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 big silver outfit there and <laughs> I, I just read some of the conspiracy same as the um the whole raf one where where someone um drew, drew a map of raf bases and, and and big cat sightings and seemed to collate them together but whether you know that's just uh, made believe as well and uh well there may be a good reason for why the raf site uh bases um seem to have reports around them so if you think about it, RAF bases, by their very nature, they need to have air traffic in and out, don't they? Mm. So they can't be surrounded by tall buildings. They have to be in areas where, you know, there's not a lot of urban development immediately nearby. So you'll find RAF bases usually, um, and, and small airfields, are usually in the outlying areas of, of the cities, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, so 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 I think it's probably just a geographic coincidence, you know. It's, it's, it, well, and also but yeah, it, it, well. it would stand to reason that around, you know, just by virtue of that not being immediately in the city, there's probably more, um, more sort of wildlife, and and it's then in more rural locations. So it's probably just by virtue of the fact that they're in those sort of positions. And of course, RAF bases do have a lot of personnel and staff on them as well, don't they? So people go there. Um, there's a chance on those sort of urban wildland borders that, you know, humans and, and, and wildlife will, will meet. Mm. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that the, the big cats are flying the planes though. No. <laughs> some would, some would, I'd happily listen to their theories though. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've probably probably read a few like that. Um, <laughs> so you, you you kind of you said you've had some paranormal experiences as well in terms of like sightings of ghosts and apparitions. Oh, crikey, yeah. I mean, well, I have. There's one that really stays with me. You know, I saw a full-bodied apparition. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you the story if you want. It's yeah, uh, yeah. it's quite a long one, but uh, like I'll try, I'll try and give you the sort of uh, the short version. But basically, I was staying at an old cottage that a friend had. Um, had just moved into in the Forest of Dean. And we, when I say old, I mean properly old. We're talking nearly probably 500 years old, that kind of old. Mm. Um, and it had one of these horrible old attic staircases, right? The ones you see in the horror films. Yeah. And as you move into a new place, you, you, you arrive with your boxes, don't you? And you have to move and unpack and all the rest of it. And, and at some point there will be stuff needs stowing away for storage. You've got to put the Christmas tree up in the loft. You've got a, you know, whatever. Um, and to get up in the attic, the door, you obviously, uh, you, you know, this this staircase had a door on it, a very, very old rickety door, but it was locked. 
and we didn't have a key and so i was like right okay so there's this this the enigma of the missing key so you go back to the landlord and um he says well i'm sure i gave you the, all the keys um and he was a bit evasive about it you know um so eventually he gives us another set of keys he says if it's not on this bunch of keys i haven't got it and lo and behold the key wasn't on the bunch so i just said well we'll just take the lock off the door you know sling everything up there put the lock back on afterwards happy days you know so i, I bust out the toolbox and <laughs> set about unscrewing the lock and dismantling the door and taking it off and, and that's what we did and everything went swimmingly but at some point in that process, I do remember feeling a little bit like I shouldn't have been doing it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, anyway, we did. And <laughs> whether the following, uh, what are the events that happened in the aftermath are connected or not is anyone's guess. Um, but yes, people then in the house started to see apparitions. And it was like, you know, I was woken up one night, basically, by, um, by the, the feeling of being cold, first mm -hmm. and foremost being frozen like on the inside as well I wasn't cold outside it was I was like cold at my core and I sat up like really uncomfortable and there is where when I saw it sitting up in bed at the end of the bed like stood over me like this apparition um no facial features at all um sort of like it was either like a long veil or like long looked like long flowing hair looked female in form um and it was like, obviously I say there's no, no facial features. I couldn't see any eyes, but if it did have any, they would have been fixed at me, you know, because right. see by the way that it's looking, it's like clearly staring at me. Um, and I didn't feel welcome. I didn't feel threatened, but I didn't feel welcome, let's say. Um, and it sort of, sort of turned into that classic sort of ectoplasm mist and through the wall and gone. And um, but I, I felt like it was intelligent and I felt like it wanted me to know it was there. Those are the two things that I took away from it. I felt like that thing, I, I, and I also like, you know, I, I could say I'm trying to be atheistic and I always do, but it's just interesting. I woke up frozen to the core and people who report these sightings and there is that sort of theory that ghosts draw on your energy or spirits can draw on your energy. And I just feel like, it sounds daft, but I mean, we're on the 14 News podcast. Well, you know, I just feel like, is was it, you know, if, if it, I wasn't hallucinating, if that was by the grace of God, somehow an intelligent entity, you know, of a type that we just don't know how to describe, you know, um, currently, then maybe, maybe it was drawing on my energy to, to present itself. And that's what ghost hunters and stuff and the like would, would have you believe as well. Right. So I don't know, there's just too much about it. And I'm convinced it was a real experience. I'm, I'm sure I wasn't hallucinating, but I mean, that's the thing. I've got no evidence, you know, and it's just another story in amongst the many of like weird apparitions and ghostly sort of encounters. But, you know, I had to get up. I couldn't stay in that room at that point. And, you know, I, I, I didn't wake up anyone else in the house. I just went straight downstairs, just put the fire on, put the telly on, you know, put the lights on, grab myself a coffee. And that was it until the sun came up, you know, um, <laughs> Again, it's interesting. It was a weird one. It's um, so many of these things happen around the bed. Um, and again, it's, it's almost, I always say there's always enough evidence without there actually being any evidence. So, you, you know, you've got the sighting, but then there's the potential you're in a dream state and it's almost designed that way to, to, keep, to keep other people doubting. For, for you, that's, that was a genuine experience. But 
If you tell him, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it could have been a, it could. I think they call them hypnagogic hallucinations um, or hypnogenic hallucinations. There's a, there's a couple of different terms for different specific hallucinations, which are you know center around um, sleep disorders. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if you're being atheistic, you'd look at the medical model, wouldn't you? You'd look at the medical model and you'd say, well, you know, medicine says, you know, the the science of biology says um, you were probably in um, a semi lucid dream state. Mm. um you know and your you know your, your sensory you know input was sort of juggled with uh with, with the stuff of your dreams so you know you're kind of in this weird perceptive state where some of your your, your imagination is imprinting on reality and you can't quite differentiate at that point you know and that's fine you know that's that's fine it just doesn't feel like that at the time <laughs> you know that's you know even though that's what logic says you know your brain doesn't react that way. You know, we all think, you know, and that's why people say, I've seen a ghost, you know, and says, oh, I've had a hypnagogic hallucination. <laughs> no one comes away from it saying that, do they? Even the rational among us don't say that. You don't say, oh yeah, I, uh, you know, I uh, had an episode of lucid dreaming and, uh, you know, uh, some some you know some some hallucinations related to um some some sleep disorders which are probably stress induced you, you, no one says that it's not a story you share at the pub is it the story you share at the pub is i saw a ghost yeah yeah, yeah. And, um, so, did, did anything else occur around that um yeah so around the house it wasn't just me um my friend who's who was living there um, after the attic door incident, um, she started to have um, a recurring dream about the house, which she wasn't in. She wasn't in the dream. So it was like she was a third party viewing it. And it was a house back in time, um, like same house, same setting, but obviously looking a lot younger. And there were three women allegedly in her dream that were in this house um, and sort of like in the attic as well chanting in a circle is what she says and as the dream continues the chanting gets louder and louder and the house begins to shake more and more and more until she wakes up um so it was quite an unsettling dream but the other thing in that was a, a little boy um she had a, a well her, her son harry at the time was probably about three or four and he was seeing old women around the house as well he was like mummy who's that old woman in the corner and you look in the corner and you can't see anything and he's like clearly reacting to something he's oh, is he playing is it imagination or whatever but for a few moments you you know the hair stand up on the back of your neck and you're thinking oh my god i want to get out of here you know um so yeah, it was a, it was a strange place. It had a weird vibe to it, you know. And there were more than you know. It wasn't just me. There were other people who sort of saw and heard weird things in in there. But again, there's nothing quantifiable that you can bring back out of it, you know. Which is always a shame for me because I suppose maybe I'm one of these people who's hardwired on a quest for proof, you know. I like, uh, but. I, I want to take people on that journey. And it's for me, it's the naysayers and stuff. I feel like to a point, I feel like that a lot of people are missing out. It's like, there's something going on here. You need to look and they're too busy watching Coronation Street, you know, which is fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not going to bash Coronation Street, but you know, like come and have a look at the ghost afterwards. Nah, it's all right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I just feel like I want to take people on this journey. And I feel like one of the, probably the best ways of doing that is if you can come back and say, look, I've proved it. Here's the evidence. Yeah. And people, you know, that's when the jaw hits the floor and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, so that's that's when you get people. But it's, it's um, um, yeah, I had a, a building that, that I used to work in that was was, you know, unbelievably active. You know, it, it, 
could could potentially be one of the most active buildings in the world because you could guarantee pretty much something would happen and things would even happen on command. Um, and and I took I took two completely disbelievers, not even skeptics. Like you're an idiot if you believe in anything like this. In and out of anyone, even people that believed in it but were terrified of it, they, these two were the people who were the most scared when when they did witness something. They 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 ran out of that building and swore to never even go down that street again. Well, that's it. So they, they obviously confronted for, with something for for a, for a very brief moment, even if it was just for a nanosecond. Whatever it was, there was something about what they experienced which challenged their 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 sort of steadfast beliefs. You know, it didn't fit in their little comfortable box of the world is this way, logic and reason. We can explain everything. You know, and it's. It, so yeah, I mean, I can imagine, I can, I can well accept that you know probably it's the skeptics who are probably going to have the biggest reactions when they when they have these experiences. Probably, yeah. Um, it, it just doesn't sit with their paradigm, does it? And that's going to be really uncomfortable, you yeah. know. If, if 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 especially if you show someone you know something really compelling or they experience something like that that's quite intense. Um, yeah. So one yeah, of them, uh, even bruised my arms because he wouldn't let go of me. He was that terrible. Well, I have got a story. I don't know if I should tell it. I have to be careful about how I recount it as well, because um, let me think. So obviously, um, you know, hospitals and places like that are thought to be good, good places, um, you know, uh, for, for sort of supernatural, paranormal, ghostly encounters, just by very nature, the fact that people die in those places. And um I've worked in hospitals a lot through my life in, you know, in the nursing career and stuff like that. And I've had some very, very strange night shifts. I, I did predominantly a lot of night shifts, um, you know, working in, in various hospitals and um, yeah, it, it, there, there were some places you could work where you could, you could almost set your watch, you know, by certain bits and pieces, but I don't, I don't really like to try and, I don't like to talk too much about the experience of the hospital to, you know, because it's a sad place and people still got to work there and they do a tough job. And, you know, it's, it's still, still, I still work for the NHS and, you know, so I have to tread carefully. We might need to edit this as well in the, you know, in the final thing, but um, there were lots of malfunctions of electronic equipment that were almost routine. You could guarantee that, you know, in and around that magic time of the night, three o'clock in the morning, showers would come on by themselves. The lights would go on and off by themselves in certain areas. You could have, it wasn't always around 3 a.m. Sometimes it was earlier, sometimes it was after. Sometimes you could have um, alarms being called and like, you know, emergency call bells that a patient would use to summon a nurse if they were in pain or whatever. These are going off in rooms where there are no patients. Yeah. <laughs> and the doors are locked you know, your patient couldn't wander in there press the alarm and sneak off because you need a key to get in you know into these uh, sort of the, the, these rooms so what's going on there it's interesting um, it? i always say if you want if you want a good uh, paranormal story speak to someone that works in a hospital this absolutely so that you know you know they're, they're, it's, it's very ripe for those experiences you know and like that i can even remember on one occasion in one of the hospitals i worked at um you know nursing staff were so freaked out um by i suppose what you'd call poltergeist activity um that they ended up calling in the hospital chaplain 
yeah, I wouldn't say he did an exorcism or anything like that because you can't, you know, like yeah, especially when it was a psychiatric hospital, so you don't want to sort of alarm the patients. But he did come in and discreetly do, you know, a little blessing and, you know, um, some sort of I don't know what you call it a religious procedure, some something. He did some sort of, uh, you know, something to <laughs> to try and settle things down. Um, and I, it, let's be honest, it, it didn't it, it didn't really work. <laughs> because things continued and actually I was working you know um I was working a night shift and the weirdest thing happened it's going to sound so strange to your listeners and you'll probably think you absolutely sound nuts um (laughs) you've taken I've taken the lid off of a can of worms now so I was working a night shift and there's one nurse that I work with and she she's like she's got like a radar for the paranormal or she claims to have, you know, and she says when she feels things and, you know, she's not the sort of person to, to bullshit, you know? So like, if I take it as well, you know, again, it's that human story. It's like, I believe you think you've experienced something here, whether I'm on board with it or not is another matter, but you know, I hear you out. And so she'd always tell me, Oh, I saw a shadow go past or that, you know, something's going on or I've got a really weird feeling down this part of the corridor, all of this sort of stuff. And um, I decided, well, I, uh, we, we, we were deciding what to watch on telly and there was a, uh, there was nothing on. Um, and so we started streaming stuff off of YouTube and um, there was a documentary about Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman. Um, he was a, a, a sort of mobster serial killer in America um, and sort of story about all his grisly past and everything like that on this documentary and the other nurses and me we decided to go well we'll watch this it'll kill half an hour but it 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 didn't want to play um and the telly started glitching out and it wasn't having a a, a jot of it so i started to fettle and problem solve and troubleshoot and eventually after you know probably about 10 minutes of rebooting and loading and unplugging and this and that it got it going um but in that process (laughs) this other nurse had said to me tim I, I think we should give up on it. Like I, I get the impression that something in here doesn't want us to watch that program. Hmm. That's what she said, and I said, "Oh, don't be daft! I'm gonna, you know, like, you know, we'll sort this out. You know, it'll be on in a couple of minutes. It's just, you know, technology glitches, doesn't it? It's tech support. Turn it off. Turn it back on." So I was all being cocky and <laughs> cocksure about it. I'd set it up and it started to play, you know, a few seconds in, absolutely perfect. And then I'm walking in a straight line with no obstacles ahead of me. You know, there's nothing in my way. You know, I'm not drunk or anything. Um, I'm just walking across the day room from the television to the chair where I was sat. And the other two nurses and me, we still don't know what happened because they were watching and they said, all of a sudden I went sideways. I was, I was like basically catapulted about 15, 15 foot across the living room. And I'm like, an 18 stone bloke, you know, I'd be good at rugby if I could move myself quick. Um, And I don't get blown over in a hurricane, you know? So I wasn't moving in that direction. It's the weirdest thing, but the upshot of it is I ended up tearing the ligaments in my right knee and um, ended up in hospital. And that was the, that was the legend of the night where Tim got attacked by a poltergeist, which he angered by putting something on the telly that it didn't want to watch. What was it like when you were when you were moved? Was it? Did you feel hands? Was it like? Uh, <clears throat> I felt I, I I felt nothing on me apart from f- like I was catapulted. 
catapulted. It was weird. I was walking in a straight line and then all of a sudden I'm going sideways at what felt like 50 miles an hour. It was like I was a pedestrian crossing a road and I'd just been hit by a truck. Right. That's kind of what it felt like. Wow. It's like I was rugby tackled by an unseen being. I went flying, pardon my French. <laughs> so yeah, hospital trip later, um, torn ligaments in my right knee um six weeks and i'm back walking again properly <laughs> but yeah i mean like, i didn't go on about that one really that's not a story i've told too many people you know and like obviously people at work know about it and it was sort of like all it was really something people laughed at at the time it was like oh you know look you know what what whatever you know whatever next mm. um you know but if it weren't for those other two witnesses yeah yeah you know, but that, 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 and that's it. They, you know, they, they both like we're all scratching our heads, and you know, none of them will like offer any other explanation apart from it looked like I was I was rugby tackled by something unseen, an unseen being of some sort. And that must be strong as well. <laughs> Christ Almighty! Yeah, really? yeah. Oh my God! I like it, it. Like it was either strong or very, very angry. If it, if it, if it, if, if it was a ghost or something or, an, or or a spirit, if it was, you know, I have no, I have no idea what other explanation could could possibly be because the force that I was knocked over with, it wasn't my own force. Mm. It wasn't like I tripped over and hit the deck. I went flying. Yeah, yeah. I went flying. Um, yeah, yeah. My, my, my things like the, the poltergeist. More, you know, that's why I, I research and and investigate the most and I, I see it very different to to ghosts um and and for me it's it's to do with the kind of conscious emotions and things like that where it seems it's so a hospitals are, are just full of full of it aren't they these, these places um yeah yeah and, and, and it's, 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 it's easy to see why when you work in one for long enough and you see people you know depart the world you know and you see the fear in their eyes and you know it's and in circumstances where people choose to to, to do that themselves you know, to, you know it's like you're, you're dealing with tormented souls really you know if you if you believe in those kind of things is you know it, it is one thing or not but it, at least in an abstract symbolic sense you know these are people in pain you know these are people who are tormented you know um and yeah uh, you know if you believe what people say about the paranormal those kind of conditions become a hotbed for the restless, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like some entity just feeds on on emotion, whether it's happiness, sadness, grief. You know, and hospitals have all of them, don't they? they? They've got people recovering and babies being born. You know, mental health hospitals have, have such a, a mix as well of, of, of emotions, and it's yeah, yeah. It's, a lot of people are in there because they're too happy. You know, <laughs> that's a, that's a genuine problem. You know, when you got people who are in like the throes of a real sort of manic illness, and they're you know you know surging with energy and positivity you know mm -hmm. and um yeah i mean you you, you get a, a really broad range of emotions there you do you know so so yeah i'll, I'll take that you know i i've sort of overshadowed myself with the doom and gloom of it for the moment but you're right you know the recovered patients who get discharged and go home you know in in good condition you know patched up and you know recovered and healthy you know that, that you know so you, yeah and of course you've got the different stories you've got the you know all the staff that work in those places as well you know and there's a lot of stories of nurses with ptsd and doctors yeah. with ptsd and you know stuff like that who, who are sort of really badly affected by the stuff they see you know so that's just what they see imagine the people who are going through it you know like personally so 
Yeah. It's um it's unsurprising really that with all these sort of like mix of emotions and and the number of people you're talking about that um you know these these reports do come in from time to time. It is just fascinating though. Absolutely yeah. fascinating. And any activity that occurs stimulates emotion as well. You know, you, you've got fear or surprise and all those things. It's it's almost like uh, it's just creating more emotion. And anticipation and anxiety and, you know, yeah, there's loads of it. Yeah. It, and yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, 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 it's no it's no sort of um, surprise, really, when you consider that as well, that, you know, you know, when you're in those heightened mood states, you know, perceptual sort of um, processing and sort of our our, our our interpretation of things may, may shift a little bit as well. So it may be that, you know, in amongst all of that, people are more attuned or more receptive to, you know, um, to these experiences at certain times as well, which may sort of contribute to some of the reports and and, and the increase in experiences of people in those areas. And another thing around that is like fascinating with me. I know I've sort of focused on the sort of the departing of the world really, but I sort of did deal with like end of life care quite a bit, but deathbed phenomena as well. You did say earlier that a lot of paranormal experiences happen around the bed. And I'd never really thought of that um, on its own as a concept, you know, um, apart from like specifically deathbed phenomena, mm. uh, which is something that's interested me in the past. Um, just primarily because there's the observable sort of cultural differences in the literature. So when you're talking about um, deathbed visitors, um, like we're talking about people who, who are sort of got terminal illnesses who are progressing towards, towards the, you know, their, their, their final moments. And you can see death um, as a process in that way, you know, if you're know, not talking about people who are killed suddenly or anything like that. So if you can see death, as an observable process part of that is you know for, for many people they will report you know visitors and and what was interesting in the literature between america and and the uk is that in america people will see more um religious figures they see more angels lots of representations of of the virgin mary and 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 of christ um uh, who, who will come and see people on on, on their bedside but in Britain, uh, we're still obviously a predominantly Christian nation, but like tend to be more sort of atheistic um, than, than the Americans. I think this is reflected in what's reported in the deathbed phenomenon as well, which I find really interesting. We don't have as many sort of Christianized um, uh, sort of symbols that are prevalent in the deathbed phenomenon. You don't have these characters from the Bible that, that crop up as often. What people report in the UK, conversely, is they, they, they report their deathbed visitors are more commonly um, genetic ancestors, mm. relatives. Granddad was waiting for me. Granddad came to see me, says Nan and, Nan and him are waiting for me, you know, all, all those kind of things. Or my mum was there with a sister. Or, so it, was, it tended to be people that they knew previously in their life that had departed that were waiting for them. So it's just an interesting cultural observation that in the mm. Bible Belt of America and, yeah. you know, the more sort of reserved sort of um, UK populations, there seems to be this observable difference in those in those reports, which, yeah, I just find interesting. It's fascinating, isn't it? There's, there's even cases where there's, um, you know, people have actually recorded what people have said and, um, you know, they'll say, oh, Mavis is coming for me tomorrow at one. And Mavis is the sister that's passed away. And then one o'clock the next day, they, they pass away themselves, you know. Yes, you know, those are the ones which send a shiver down your spine, aren't they? There's like, oh, like... well, my grandfather, he, um, 
he passed away a, a couple of years ago and uh, he, he was he was in hospital and he, he was he was quite poorly but he, he suddenly started to to get a lot better and um, we all thought that he was going to come back out but then I was sat with him and he started seeing people from from his past life and and he was all to, he was still altogether there you know he wasn't um, out of it or anything or delirious or and um, I knew then that he, he he was going in the next couple of days and he and he did um, wow. it, it was quite it's quite comforting in a way to for him for me to know that there was kind of like people helping him along whatever that journey is yeah yeah it's it, and, and and that's 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 the way i look at it as well you know you can be atheistic about it you don't have to be religious you know but what you have to think of is first off what's the harm in it and second off it is actually quite comforting yeah, even yeah. if it's just something that you know it can be explained with biology and physiology maybe it is just a defense mechanism there's you know hormones released as you approach death that you know the goal of which is to comfort you and maybe they replicate you know sensations that you know people would be familiar with you dabble in recreational drugs maybe it does make you feel euphoric and it and maybe that is a, a, a genuine explanation but the, you know the reality that people perceive is is that you know is that there's someone waiting to take me to the other side and, and isn't that really quite a nice thing really in that context you know definitely and and that euphoria, you know, the 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 best I've ever felt in, in my 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 body was once I had a really bad accident, and um, for for the twenty seconds that followed it, I, I was as high as a kite on those chemicals in the brain. I, I actually f- felt I, I died and gone to heaven in that those moments. Wow, so interesting, you know. That is really interesting, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, what's that all about? You could debate. Any- <laughs> endlessly but it's it's i i find it all absolutely fascinating and when you're just sort of on on that sort of precipice of sort of you know the unknown and everything like that and particularly dealing with like the biggest unknown is like what happens when we die you know it's um yeah it's a massive uh it's a massive anxiety for a lot of people i think actually like really as I say, I tried to be quite atheistic about it. I had a bit of an existential sort of uh, nightmare going back a few months um, because I like I was raised as a Catholic and I sort of threw that to one side and was quite happy in my notion of, of you know, being um, logic and rational and driven by the science and disregarding anything that wasn't backed up with evidence. I was really happy with that until I had... Um, you know, a lot of credible scientists. We're talking like yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian Cox's, yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson's, the mm. Elon Musk's of the world, even talking about simulation theory. Mm. You heard this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like the notion, like the Matrix. You know, the notion that our reality is a simulated one. Well, you can't test for that in a lab. You can't, you can't do an experiment to test for. Or if you can, I don't know about how you do it, but how they've worked it out is with maths they've 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 used mathematical modeling to to test if if numerically and probability you know in terms of those things is is it is it possible or likely that we're living in a simulation and when you apply maths in in in, in you know in in this stringent way and you work out all the probabilities it's actually apparently according to the maths it's very unlikely that we're not in a simulation. And when you hear like respectable scientists say something like that, and they've been telling you, yeah, be an atheist, be an atheist, disregard the notion of an afterlife. When you die, it's like, what was it like before you were born? You can't remember. Great. It's, that's what it'll be like when you're dead. And so they tell you this, 
<laughs> with confidence and then they come back at you and say oh there's this model in maths which we can't we can't debunk it works mathematically it's a mathematical truth that we are probably living in a simulation and whoa stop the press hang on what you're saying yeah, because yeah, all yeah. of a sudden that invokes the possibility of well you have to ask well who programmed it yeah so there's a there's a creator you could you know what's outside of it can there be more than one you know so it doesn't discount things like the, the idea of you know multiple universes or stuff like that but it does bring in the possibility there's something beyond it yeah something you know it does bring in the possibility of a creator and all of a sudden say, okay this mathematical model is now invoking the gods which maths apparently told me to throw out in the first place. So I just had this sort of like weird moment of existential sort of like confusion where I didn't know where to place myself in, uh, in amongst all of that. And I still don't really know how to resolve it in my head, but you just get on with life, don't you? Yeah, and the, the more you look at, at science and physics, the, the, the more it actually questions reality rather than resolves it and solves it, you know. Um, it's it, it throws up more questions. You know, the, the very top scientists actually would start often start off on the journey, don't they? As kind of complete um, complete atheists, and and start to the more they find out, uh, the more they start to believe in some sort of design. Um, in in this kind of ir- ironic journey, in a sense. Yeah, in some in, in in some cases, you do see that sort of transformative sort of journey as they they realise the limitations of their own. Um, their own sort of uh, tools and, and and knowledge and stuff. And it's like, I can, I can kind of relate to that, you know, like I, could, I, I think most people probably do. Like if you're not like naturally arrogant, you know, you will stumble through life as you get older. People do tend to, they talk of the wisdom of years really. And most older people, they're, they're just quite happily tell you that, yeah, we don't really know our ass from our elbow. We're, you know, we're just very highly evolved chimps really. And, you know, no one really knows what we're doing here. You just got to make the best of it really. And it's that sort of admission of defeat that we don't really know. We're never going to really know, but you just got to sort of make use of your time down here constructively try and, you know, it's, why wallow in misery? You know, you might as well try and get through the day and entertain yourself and all the rest of it. But it's um, it's that limitation. And to hear sort of people like, I, you know, like Stephen Hawking, like he's one famously, I think it was in, um, I haven't read the book because <laughs> I'm not that kind of guy, but A Brief History of Time, I'm pretty sure I've heard um, I've heard it said that within there, he does sort of invoke the possibility of a, of a sort of supreme being or a God type entity. Um you know, at the points of the limitations of his science, you know, so it's uh, like it's it's something that we all have to sort of deal with, really, you know, and and yeah, how, how little we know, how little we know, and the scale of things as well. You know, you look you look at all the number of stars in the universe and all of that, and you start getting into that sort of territory. You know, you look at the Fermi paradox. You know, well, there should be billions of aliens. Where are they all? And yeah. all of that sort of stuff. It's um. You know the the the, the universe is um, is a scary place in, in 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 some respects, but it's a playground in others. And you know, if you can find like a little a little corner of the folklore or the the, the legends that 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 you're happy to explore, you know, it's oh, it's, it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, like the 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 afterlife one, not so much, but it's easy to scare yourself with the notion of. Uh, of all of those things and then and then distract yourself with uh you know a bit of uh, a bit of bigfoot or something yeah. <laughs> so. 
it's, it's the limitations of the, the human mind is, is just understanding infinity, you know, space is infinite. And, and that's, you know, totally incomprehensible from our ex experience on, on Earth. We've got no frame of reference that's suitable, no. is it? We deal in like our immediate surroundings. So it's all in feet and inches, you know, and, and, and you know, it's all in, it, it, we live in a three-dimensional world, but on a two-dimensional plane, we're not flying, are we? Or, you know, most of us aren't, um, you know, it's not, so when you start to scale it up and you look you, you go out at night and you look directly overhead and you're like why that just goes on forever you know it's it, like you can't compute that no. and it's something else that always used to blow my mind i'll share this with you before i let you go on to the film festival but <laughs> one thing that i absolutely adore about looking up at the night sky you know, and this is science tells us this, but like it's, it, it's something that's absolutely, as a, as a concept, I find absolutely beautiful and fascinating and mind-blowing in every respect. But so those stars are millions and millions and millions, billions, billions, light years away. Mm. Um, and the light for some of those stars, which may, some of those stars may have burned out, but the light is still traveling to us. Mm. We haven't got to see that those stars have gone yet, you know, because yeah. essentially the image of the night sky is an image of the past. Yeah, yeah. So when you look up at a night sky and you see those stars twinkling in front of you, you're looking back through time. Yeah. What a concept. As a concept, that's just so beautiful. Yeah. To look up at a night sky is to look back in time. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Amazing. Mind blown. And that, that just shows the, the, the distance as well. That, that's the distance that we can even see. So beyond that's even further. There, there was one, um, and I forgot his name, but one, one, one of the top quantum physicists in the world that said it isn't infinite. It ends at a, a wall of mathematical equations that are just balanced in space, which is interesting. <laughs> well, it's quite possible, isn't it? Yeah, because obviously we have the observable universe, and then what goes beyond that? Yeah, and, and one of the most, you know, the most beautiful things about the fortune, um, which brings us on to the festival, is 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 about the. You know, I, I've got ADHD and I get obsessed and I've been obsessed with all these things for, for many decades and, and researched it, you know, listened to everything. If someone tells me there's something going on um, at that time, I, I'll get up at three in the morning and run around the house, you know. Um, and and, and the, more I, the more I research it, the, the, the less I know and the more questions that, that are, arise from it. So it's one of those things where you, you you never stop learning and never find any answers. You just find. That's right. I think the more you look at it, it does introduce the element of doubt, isn't it? Because you know, you, like you have to sort of accept that there are, you know, uh, you, you. Why are you still reading about it if, if if you're so confident in your position? You know, why are you still researching it if you know everything there is to know? So if you continue to look at it, I think you will just have to sort of accept that you know that, that you know will never, never quite be able to grasp everything because there's always a new take or you might think you've just about formed the, the pinnacle of your knowledge. Then you'll come across something, you know, which which encourages you to look through a different lens, yeah. you know, yeah. and then you'll be like, oh, actually, you know, I've been quite naive about this. I've thrown the baby out with the bathwater yeah. and there's a, a whole swathe of other stuff which I need to incorporate into my research or look at, you know? Yeah, yeah. And one of the great places to do that is the Fortune Film Festival. <laughs> <laughs> so to tell, tell me how, how how did you start kind of developing this idea and what what made you go for it so i think i said right back at the start of our chat that um you know like obviously i'd, I'd made a couple of sh shows about big cats and entered them in film festivals um uh, and and in that process like we we participated in quite a few film festivals and we just got to see 
diversity and variety and how film festivals were being run, what the pitfalls were. And there were some common problems. Like you, you've got to tip your hat to, to, to some of the festivals because obviously pandemics aren't very good when you're running live events. Um, and, and that was clearly a problem for a lot of the film festivals, you know, obviously having to postpone their, their, their live events and reschedule bits and pieces. But communication around things was really very poor in a lot of circumstances. And to compound that as well, there was just a very low tolerance in a lot of festivals for paranormal themes, Fortean themed stuff, particularly factual content of a Fortean nature. If you do a Fortean film and it's, you know, a horror or a sci-fi, there's lots of platforms you can get that looked at you know but if you're approaching it from a factual basis this is a reality oriented show um people just don't want to know so um we we kind of got to thinking you know those festivals that did do well and did treat us well and you know did sort of shine in terms of a service to independent filmmakers and fringe subjects we kind of thought this is how it should be done and then on the other hand we had other people who you know it wasn't just us were getting treated you know badly and it wasn't through you know sort of like deliberate malice either it was obviously complications from the pandemic but in amongst that you know there there, there was a degree of elitism that um was not kind to 14 um film mm. so me and uh, me and matt just said look we could do better than uh, than some of these we could take what we've learned from these good examples and take what we've learned from these bad examples and build our own festival and mm. and make it a festival that that uh, you know that celebrates the weird because <laughs> that's what we like right so <laughs> so um yeah um, I, I spoke to Matt about it and he said, yeah, you know, it was something that we toyed with, you know, I think you say these things sarcastically in the heat of the moment when you're despairing, you know, like when, when we had like a couple of experiences of bad customer service or not, or, or, or not excellent communication, you know, me and Matt would sometimes say to each other, you know, we could do better than these claims. And you say it often enough, you eventually believe it, right? <laughs> Are you still there, James? Have I lost you? No, no, I'm still here. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so, um, so that was really the nucleus of, of of the concept, really. And then we got talking to other people who share our interest in the weird and the wonderful, and um, yeah, a plan very quickly emerged. We thought, well, let's let's do it. Let's put our money where our mouth is. We've said it often enough. Let's try and do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we 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 spoke to a few people that we knew in 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 the, the the filmmaking world who shared our interests of the weird and then we spoke to people in the world of the weird who shared our interest in in films um and uh, we we put together a motley crew of uh, of of sort of misfits and and we jumped into it and and looked for venues um set up a website it was all very straightforward really once you got got going um and we put out a call for submissions and and we were just inundated actually like to be to be honest with you we, we the season was open for less than less than four months i think yeah and in that time we had over a hundred submissions wow. 
so like i mean that's not that's 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 not you know it's not loads you know but like you have to think you have to watch all of these submissions and a lot of them were feature length you know we were busy we were busy you know because i was determined i wasn't going to sort of be one of these film festivals because you don't know whether or not a lot of the time whether the the judges of these film festivals even watch your film but i wanted to be prepared to offer constructive feedback to every filmmaker you know, um, so if they asked for it, it needed to be ready um, so that, you know, we could say what we thought was good about their work, what we thought could be improved. You know, I didn't want to because the other thing we encountered in the film festival world was it was not uncommon just to be told, you know, you were selected for the festival or you were not selected, but very rarely given a reason. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I want to be able to do that. If a filmmaker wants to know why I've selected their work or why I haven't, I want that that rationale ready. So um, I was insistent that we would be able to give constructive feedback to everyone, you know, um, so that we could offer filmmakers the opportunity to improve their work if they wanted to, you know, um, uh, or at least explain, you know, why, you know, they, they, they didn't quite make the grade or, or what have you. But as it turns out, most of the submissions were excellent, you know, and there were a lot of happy filmmakers at the end of it because, um, you know, we made it a multi-level award festival so that it wasn't just one winner in a category. You have a platinum, a gold, a silver, a bronze, honourable mentions, you know. So, it, you know, you can have sort of like a graduated um list of winners really and it, it means that you don't have to exclude you know if, if there are two brilliant films in one category you don't have to exclude one winner or pick one over the other so we try to structure it in the most generous way possible um and yeah we were just we were just amazed the content the creativity and from all around the world as well we had like we weren't obviously we couldn't screen every submission we had we didn't play 100 films at the cinema um so you know we we, we picked a, a range from 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 what we had and there was representation from pretty much every continent bar antarctica i think so it was um it was very very pleasing and, and very well received by uh, the filmmaker community and obviously by yourself you know i think given the the fact it was a pandemic and um yeah, you know, live events are difficult during those times. I was I was pleased with the turnout, you know, and I was really pleased you came, James, as well. So yeah, it was it was, it was really fantastic. One of the things I, I loved, as I said before, was the, the diversity in terms of kind of what was on offer and and the the the, the range of feelings and emotions and just um, it really whether you like the fortune or not, if, if you're just a fan of films, it it was still a festival for you. Yeah. I- Absolutely. And, 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 and we wanted that to, to, to you know, when, once we realised that we were going to have a lot more on our plate than factual content and documentaries, because you know, if you watch the sci-fi channel or, you know, the history channel or these, these programmes where you get cryptozoology and ghost hunting shows on it, they're usually reality based stuff, isn't it? It's a camera crew following a ghost hunter around whilst he goes around in a, a, a hall location trying to record activity and you know I wasn't expecting the swathes of fiction and horror and you know sci-fi and stuff that we ended up getting that did fit the bracket you know there were lots of werewolf films lots of lots of um alien films ghost films you know it's just everything was covered you know and from every perspective there was comedic stuff there was animation um there was cgi stuff 
and all from the independent filmmaking community as well. Like some of the CGI and some some of the the wardrobe and the sets. Mm. Given that these are films that are small budgets, you know, and Hollywood is nowhere to be seen. Mm. Um, they were remarkable. Some of them were absolutely astounding. Like, I just couldn't believe the professionalism and the standards of, of, of the work, you know? Yeah, oh, it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, there was even, you know, Art House in terms of that French one with... Um, it was it was just there was just something for everyone. It really was. Oh, um, what you mean? The opening film, the, the short film from Mexico? There was one It was about a feast. Oh, oh, of course, yeah. Uh, so that's Bread and Circuses. That was an American um, uh, uh, film. Yeah, that's um, so that's a retelling of the the Last Supper. Yeah. Um, but sort of like they sort of replace the 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 messianic character with a, a Donald Trump esque type sort of American. It was very weird, but well yeah, done, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. and and yet that was a student film. Can you right. believe that? That was that was a first time filmmaker's piece, you know. And yeah, it you know, it's it, it you could pick holes in, in it, but my god, the wardrobe, the makeup, the set. Yeah, you you can see a lot of work went into those films, you know, and fascinating, beautiful, like it was a visual feast. Yeah, absolutely. And disturbed, disturbing, and you couldn't quite understand why it was disturbing. It was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't it make you feel uncomfortable? Yeah. Yeah. You know something's about to happen, but you're just not quite sure what. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, yeah. and, and you, so this year you've kind of expanded even further. So, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the concept is bigger and better, right? You know, and like, obviously, you know, we're uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic, but I'm going to continue to plan as if this event will continue to grow. You know, we can't stay in lockdown forever, surely, right? So um, that's my ethos on the whole thing. And we, we, we are expanding. The season's going to run a lot, lot longer. So the first season was open less than four months. This one's going to be open probably just shy of 12 or 11 months so we'll be taking submissions we've already got um more submissions than we took in the first season um the standard uh, dare i say it has increased um so you know we we had some exceptional films in the first in the first season but you know um some of those filmmakers have come back um with new work and you know as 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 in life you get better with time don't you you learn from you know and you refine your craft and so these are filmmakers that you know we're now starting to chart their progress and and their evolution and that's fantastic too um but we're running the festival for an extra day currently um but i am going to look at um potentially increasing the duration of the venue um booking and 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 running more dates um but that's pending some some organizational things which need to happen and and uh, there's a few things which i need to get sorted out first but there's a potential that we might try and increase the duration of it um we've also got another venue booked for a vip party on the opening night so after the first night of screening there will be um lockdown and, and pandemic permitting um there will be a vip party where people can have a meet and greet with some of the filmmakers who will be invited along as vips um and yeah it'll be an opportunity for filmmakers to network with each other and and you know get to know each other and let their hair down a little bit so there's going to be a bit of a vip event around that and um yeah we're we're, we're, we're well on our way the other thing we've done recently is to um as you know, because um, you're, you're, you're partnering with us, 
the 14 News podcast. Um, uh, we're, we're now looking for, for corporate partners um, and, and sponsors as well. Um, so we've got, we've got some really interesting developments uh, to that end. Um, I can say that um, we will be, we haven't quite worked out how we're going to be doing this, but we will be teaming up with Bodmin Jail, um, who have like a great paranormal experience uh, team down um, at the jail in Bodmin, um, down in Cornwall. So it's also a good place if you want to see uh, big cats, the, the famous beast of Bodmin Moor. Um, and I've got a few other sort of uh, meetings and plans uh, sort of to, to try and sort of build the, the event up and add a little bit more um, in terms of what we can offer. Um, so the other plan that I've got is for the second night of the film festival. I don't know, maybe your listeners and, you know, maybe you can give me some ideas about this, but um, there are a couple of um, popular ghost walks and ghost tours in the city of Gloucester. And I was, uh, I was, toying with the idea of perhaps after you know uh, finishing uh screening films at the cinema on 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 the saturday perhaps arranging like a, a, a ghost walk for uh those that want to 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 go off into uh ancient gloucester and look at the roman ruins and uh you know some of the the, the more haunted locations of the city and um, so that's something that i was thinking about i don't know whether what do you think james is that an idea you'd go for I'd definitely go for that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect you to say anything else, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that that's, that's another potential. You know, I, I might have more news on that in the next couple of weeks. But, yeah, I'm sorting things out, uh, that, you know, just to, just to sort of, uh, you know, as I say, make it bigger and better. And the other thing as well, which is, is a great thing to be able to offer as well, which we didn't have for the first season, but, you know, we have got in place now, um, is, is trophies. And um, filmmakers who participated in the first season are able to go and, and retrospectively obtain their trophies now and all the instructions are on the website um, for doing that. But, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's just gradually over time building it up. I mean, we're not even a year through through running um the festival yet so i think we only just started in in march of this year so it'll it'll be a year um that we've been running the website and running the you know the the sort of behind the scenes stuff in march so i think i think we're doing all right all things considered and particularly you know the as I i keep referring to the pandemic but you know when you're trying to set up live events you know it's the worst time to be be doing that isn't it really but um yeah, I was really pleased. And I, you know, to hear your positive feedback on the films, you know, that's that's what really matters because you know you're 40 and stuff. And, um, you know, to, to, to have someone like you say that we tick the boxes, that's that's music to my ears, you know. It was really fantastic. It was such a special, special event and, and just the atmosphere and, you know, it, it was just lighthearted and, and just wonderful. The, the venue itself was, was brilliant as well. It's um, like a... You didn't expect to, to go in, and there's almost this kind of Victorian kind of t- t- cinema theatre place. It was that's uh, it. It's an old vintage cinema that's slapped yeah. in the middle of a sort of like overdeveloped, like urban sort of corner of Gloucester. Really, it's sort of it seems out of place as well, and it also yeah. is sort of like got some strange residential properties like in the immediate vicinity as well it's a very sort of like peculiar part of the town but once you step into the cinema 
Uh, it is a beautiful Art Deco venue. Yeah. If anyone ever visits Gloucester and you know, anyone listening to your podcast is on their way, you know, or uh, maybe there are people who live in Gloucester who haven't been to the Sherbourne Cinema, I would encourage everyone to go because it's cheap, man, as well. You know, they've got a good selection of films. Popcorn is a quid. Wow. You know, popcorn's a quid. And, you know, who can, who can go to the cinema these days and, you know, buy your ticket and popcorn and a drink for less than a tenner? It's amazing. Yeah, it's good. Do you know what I mean? So he's he's a good little he's a good little um, you know cinema, and he does have a good selection of films. And the bloke who runs it, Mark, he's a, he's an absolute gentleman. And I have to say, first and foremost, without him, the fourteen film festival would never have happened. Hmm. Um, so he he like really we all owe uh, Mark at the Sherbourne Cinema a huge thank you because you know he without his um, you know helpful attitude. Um, and, and reasonable pricing as well, um, it would just never have been feasible, you know. Um, the other independent cinemas locally that we were looking and other venues that could, you know, could could fulfil the requirements, um, you were talking thousands right. to book for one, for yeah, for, you know, for, for half a day, you know. You, 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 the, 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 the bill, you know, just made it completely unfeasible. So, you know, like the, the first and crucial thing to get in the festival off the ground was to find a, a venue that was financially viable. Um, and, you know, that said, I don't think it compromises on any of the quality. Yeah. You know, I was really pleased. So yeah, beautiful Art Deco mm-hmm. cinema and it was well turned out. And I'm really pleased that you made the effort to come down because I know you're, you're quite some distance from, uh, from us down here in the Southwest. Oh, it's definitely worth it. And, uh, um, you know, it really was, it was, uh, a really wonderful event and um yeah definitely definitely took it into my heart it was uh you know an absolute joy to attend it really was. well you know hopefully you'll be there in the next year of course you're part of the judging panel as well and one of our you know official partners so um you know if your listeners ever get in touch with you and they've got suggestions for you know things they'd like to see or things that they'd like us to try you know, you can always feed that back to me and, you know, you'll have more of a, a sort of a, a creative input on uh, how, how things will evolve in future. So it's exciting. It is. It's really exciting. How, how can people kind of find out about it and get involved? So I suppose the main thing to do is go to the website, um, www.fortianfilmfestival.com. Um, and there's a Facebook page as well. Um uh, and yeah, the Facebook page is fairly active. The website, I'm updating it all the time as new partners join and as we sort of like develop new concepts for the film festival. Um, you know, more, more and more stuff's being added. So you can go to the website and there's loads of information on there from the rules of how you um, submit your film to, you know, all the details of um, the judging panel. Every single member of the judging panel is listed there. You know, we've got some really, you know, some some quite high profile names from the world of uh, the 14 stuff, haven't we? We've got, you know, a few TV presenters, a few actors from films that people will know, some cult classic films like Lord of the Rings and uh, uh, Peter Jackson's Brain Dead. We've got an actress um, who, who starred in X-Files and one of the Star Trek series and The Bride of Chucky and so we've gone out there we've got a few you know they're not a-list celebrities across the board but we don't want the a-listers because we 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 want to avoid elitism we want to open the door and we want to make it you know approachable and friendly and outward facing and all of those good things you know um 
so yeah like it, the website is 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 where you can find out all the details um there's even a little bit of history about some of the the, the parts of the festival and how they were sort of conceived and um, the different categories that we've got you can be they can be found on film freeway we've got uh, you know that's the submission portal where the filmmakers go to uh, to submit their work um so yes uh, you know it's, it's something that we'll, we'll continue to work on and to try and make it grow and uh, and see where we where we end up hopefully it'll become a regular fixture in people's calendars yeah i think it will i think it will it's, it's such a just a brilliant event and um I, I imagine this this discussion will have raised a few questions and, and things as well. So where, where can people get in touch with yourself? OK, so um, they can contact me through the 14 Film Festival uh, web page or I'm on LinkedIn is probably the best place to get hold of me. Um, you know, if it's sort of like a professional related type query, I try and keep Facebook for friends and family if I can, but you know you might find me on there if you you know clever with your searching. Um, but yeah, I'm quite approachable, and as long as people are polite to me and you know you know I treat as I find. So yeah, if you come to me with a sensible question, I'll uh, you know likely entertain it. So you can get hold of me through you know like I say through the film festival webpage. Um, although I did say Facebook, um, you know I tend to keep my personal profile for myself, but of course the, the festival does have its own Facebook page, and you can contact me through there. Um, so yeah, there's lots of different options um, for contacting me, and I'm, I, I tend to be quite approachable. Um, depend, like I say, dependent on the, on how people approach me. <laughs> I, you do get you do get the odd troll, and you know, especially when you're putting yourself out there in the world of the wacky and weird. Some people have a low tolerance for it, and that's fine. You know, just don't bring a fight to me doorstep. <laughs> Thank you so much for for coming on, Tim. Um, it's been hey, no worries. It's been an absolute pleasure, James. And we'll catch up as and when the season progresses. And as I've got more updates for you, you can uh, you can bring me back on if you want. And in the meantime, I will um, I will see about um, arranging different interviews with you for the other filmmakers. Um, yeah. I think uh, you don't mind me saying, am I allowed to drop the bombshell that we're gonna? We're, we're, we're going to be uh, letting you interview some some filmmakers on your channel. They're, they're, they're very honoured to be asked, uh, yeah, the yeah. filmmakers I've heard so far. No, definitely, yeah. Um, I'm sure I'm sure the, the listeners will yeah, be interested in, and probably bring some questions as well. So Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I suppose one thing before I go, were, were there any questions from, your, from any listeners or did you have any uh, questions from me before I duck out of things? No, not, not yet. Um, we were hopefully for, for those that are listening we were going to live stream this but technical issues meant we meant we couldn't so i know some people were going to join us there and put some questions but unfortunately that's right we had gremlins didn't we which yeah. is unfortunate um yeah. but maybe, maybe we'll have to just get you back on if we if we get some and, and just put those to you if that's okay yeah of course i'll be uh, more than happy to come back on at any time james it's been an absolute pleasure you know wonderful chatting with you yeah you too thank you so much it's been absolutely brilliant all the best. Take care. Thanks, Tim. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So there you go. That was good, wasn't it? Told you it was going to be good. So, uh, yeah, do the usual. Check us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the usual things. Come and say hello. 
spread the word and um, I look forward to uh, bringing the new show out very soon until then just take care everyone thanks so much for listening have a great day whatever you're doing good night